Yeah, it's been a while, huh? Yeah, it's, it's almost like I've forgotten how to do this. Yeah, it seems to be getting further and further uh, away, but <clears throat> we are definitely getting back into the swing of things. Look look at the little red dot. Even there it is. That's a red dot. Yeah, even yeah. if the swing hits you in Should the I head. Should I take this off? I don't know. You know what? I'm not going to fuck yeah. with it. <laughs> Maybe don't mess with it. No. We're just messing with the camera, folks. We've got a, a brand new uh, setup here. With old stuff. Yeah. It's old stuff. It's new stuff. It's stuff stuff. Um, it's very, I don't know. Stuffy. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited to get back to it. Uh, and, me too. Uh, report on uh, all of the excitement. <clears throat> it's been a lot of excitement in the air. Yeah, so um, without, so without further, further ado, adieu, um, <laughs> let's do it. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike. And don't and you forget it. Boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. There is a chill in the air. The leaves are threatening to start falling like confetti on New Year's Eve, and countless snot-nosed, bleary-eyed children meander <laughs> through schoolhouse hallways all across the country and across the pond. Today, we interview Katie Lane, an expert and a adherent to the Sinclair Method. And we will have a great interview. She's going to tell us all about it, all this and more today on a very special edition of RMA. Hey. Uh, so here we are yes. back again after a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a hiatus. We actually are only one week off the schedule. That's right. Just one week. Just one week. But we're, um, we're back it's fall, right? So now is the time when when the kids go back to school and Mike and Nat go back to podcasting. Yeah, I don't know about every week. I know. I I'd mean, like to. I want to too. But already next week, I'm. You know where I'm going next week? No. <laughs> where are you going now? I'm going to Portland, Oregon. Oh, I'm really? I'm going to go see the decriminalization. Of First hand in action. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to wander in the streets. I'm going to smoke crack with the locals. That's I'm just going to be, it's going to be a fabulous fucking time. You have to do some kind of man on the street, something. Maybe we should do like a, or at least like uh, maybe we could do a zoom call and you walk around and we get in point out junkies. And yeah. Things. I mean, I mean, those <laughs> folks would have no problem with me sticking a camera in their face yeah. while I narrate their drug abuse. And right? here we have a gentleman smoking crack with his pants around his ankles. <laughs> What do you have to say for yourself, sir? <laughs> yeah, I um, I don't have like great expectations for Oregon, for Portland being uh, any different than it was a couple of summers ago. But I don't know. I think um, it'll be interesting to see if what, how much of what I saw when I was there two summers ago was a result of the decriminalization and just the general sort of lawless atmosphere that exists in Portland, and how much of it was the pandemic. Right. I mean, you don't hear much about it, or at least I don't. Well, for a while we were seeing stories about, you know, the bedlam and how, you know, just like what you were saying, but... Um, yeah, I mean, but people move on, you know, like the, yeah. the news media moves on, they find another topic. Yeah, they gave up, they're like, ah, it's just going to be um, a crack then. It's like, oh, before I forget, you know. did you hear, uh, you, heard, you heard about that actress who got stabbed today? An actress got stabbed? Yeah, Reese. Reese Witherspoon? Uh, no, with a knife. 
that's a terrible joke. Isn't it, though? Uh, poor Reese Witherspoon. You know who uh, had a... Uh, well, Reese Witherspoon, Witherspoon, even if she was stabbed with a knife, she had a better day than the Queen of England. That's for yeah, sure. the Queen of England. <laughs> Listen, Too soon? The Queen is dead. Long live the prince. Yeah. Or is he a king now? Well, I bet he didn't think he'd have to wait this long. No, no. no. And his ears just keep growing. Well, the force of gravity is yes. also pulling the rest of them <laughs> towards the English soil. Yeah, so but this you know, is I, I feel I feel sad for the Queen. I mean, she was a, a constant uh, presence on the world stage for how she many years? Lived a long time. She did. Yeah, I was always perplexed at Americans who are <clears throat> who are obsessed with the royals. You know, nothing could be more anti-American than a Queen of England. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, besides, like a Fuhrer of Germany or something, <laughs> like a Queen of England. You know, we had a whole war. We have a whole day we celebrate the day we you know revolted and made our own country. And here we are, like, oh, the Queen of England. We should be cheering. It was a long time ago, though. Yeah, that's I true. don't harbor any animosity for <laughs> British friends. Yeah, I don't know. We love the Brits, but you know, yeah. I just uh, the Americans. A lot of them. A lot of us Americans. Love to talk about the royals. I mean, some of it is like we have the Kennedys, or we used to have the well, Kennedys. Kennedys dro- yeah. <laughs> kept dropping at a rather rapid rate. Showing my age here. But, yeah. um, you know, we have our own version of royal families here. And the so Trumps? The Trumps are kind of in that, you know, they follow the family the Clinton. Banana you know. Republic sort of way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I get it. So we're, you know, my condolences. I apologize for my callousness um, when it comes to the Queen of England, of course. You weren't being callous, was, really? I didn't oh, think. Oh, okay, good. Then I stick by what I said and right. nuts to the queen nuts, and nuts to the queen <laughs> nuts that, to the queen is that some kind of weird american expression nuts don't, to the queen don't they say that in america no <laughs> nuts to you sir <laughs> so uh condolences and all of our british uh, friends and subjects. listeners and subjects <laughs> i feel sorry that uh, you have to right, live I, under the rule what? of what's his name prince charlie prince charles yeah uh, enough about the didn't queen. he marry his mother no that woman camelia parker bowles I don't think she gave birth to him, but she certainly. Uh, <laughs> See, imagine, well uh, imagine turning Diana down for that. I mean, she must not, be not to get really into it, but she must I, have talents that we don't know about. Yes, hidden talents, like as a it good were. cook, maybe. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going somewhere else with that. I was, but I tried to save myself. Yeah, and you brought it back. So thank you. So Nat, yeah. you know who we have to thank. Who do we have to thank? We have to thank our Patreon members for yes. supporting our podcast. Thank you. Um, what's the name of our podcast? Recovery in the Middle Ages right. is a uh, listener-supported podcast. And the only reason that we're able to do this show, even as regularly as we do it with this fancy equipment that we have here, is uh, thanks to you folks who drop a couple of, uh, a couple of quarters into the hat uh, every month. And uh, if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to help us, if you'd like to support a community recovery podcast, uh, go visit us at patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages to learn more. Uh, there are some advantages to joining. Um, we're, for example, we're videotaping our interview with Katie today, and we will probably post this on... Um, probably. No probably about okay. it. Okay. I mean, it really kind of depends on what I can get done tomorrow. This is going up somehow. We're going to put it up um, on the Discord. And we right? were going to burn DVDs and mail them out to all of our Patreon wow. members. Can you imagine? That's what we should be doing. Yeah. We've it's, a very a Howard, new it's a very Howard Stern sort of thing. <laughs> but Bongo Fiesta. Yeah. Oh, Anyone that? remember that? Yes, yes. I do. That was then the era of Fartman. Yes. Classics. Good old Fartman. Um, 
Yeah, but if you join up, you know, you get a mug after a couple of months or a sticker, depending on what level awesome. you join at. And uh, and Noah designed the mugs, by the way. My son designed the mugs. Yes, yes, he's a talented fellow. Yes, he is. Doesn't like school much, but well, I don't know. Does anyone? Some people do, I guess. Yeah, and there's always that kid. Noah's got a couple friends where they just like love school. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to. Them. I'm like, why can't you be like that? But I was never like. I was that. never like. I know. I, I don't How understand could I people like my that. Son? Yeah. That's my problem when when Noah doesn't want to do something or is complaining about school. I I don't disagree with him. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It sucks, and you probably don't need to know algebra, but you do if you want to graduate from uh, <laughs> the right. seventh you grade. Got, you got to keep your eyes on the prize, and that, that's keep, a problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's a problem for get, people like you and me who yeah. tend to keep our eyes on the prize that's right in front of us. That's right. The cheese in the trap. That's right. You know. Speaking of which, yes, I caught a rat yesterday. You did? Well, so I go meditate in my garage. That's my my private space out there. Okay. I have a little couch. I also have a little cushion out there. I sit. I light a little- a picture. I light incense. I light a little candle. We got to do a there, picture. Home, you know, whatever. And, but- it's really been bumming my sacred space because I hear this rat rustling around behind me. He's messing all with the your time. zen. He's messing with my zen. <laughs> and I know it's a rat because I've seen his little bottom like scoot <laughs> under the door. Like I'm like, oh, the rat must have like no bones in his body to scoot under the garage door like that. Aww. So I try to have a heart trap and it didn't work. The rat was smarter than Oh, I've me. seen rat traps. I caught a possum in a rat trap once, but go on. This was not a... Snap trap. You I know finally what talking about right. It's like a cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. They, he wouldn't go in it. Mm. I tried. He's smart. So I had to get poison. You're po- okay. And uh, I, I was a little worried about the dogs, you know, getting into it. But yeah. uh, I so I put the trap back there, and then I went in there last night, and there was the rat was just sitting there as I opened the garage door. <laughs> And I couldn't tell if it was alive or dead. It was just staring at me into my soul. <laughs> God, maybe and it was meditating. Maybe, but I poked it with a shovel, and it was indeed dead. Oh. Yeah, I know. I felt terrible about it. But you know what? Like, what am I? What was I supposed to do? It, it had chewed through a bunch of tents. It had chewed through like half the shit in the garage. I can't live with the rat. Was not upholding its end of the bargain. But did it have a family? Well, hopefully, they ate the poison too. Well, what, <laughs> what we always would say is, if you see one rat in the subway. Right. It means right. there's a million you don't see. Yes. So. I saw Ratatouille. I know how they live. <laughs> they live right. in little groups. Yeah. And they, they great eat, chefs. Right. They eat very small amounts of food, right. you know. Um, so I felt I felt bad about that. But uh, but my, so now, so I tried to meditate after I disposed of the dead rat last night. And all I could think about was the dead rat. You know, that poor it's dead like one rat. of those things like. If somebody tells you, don't think about don't it. Don't think about the dead the rat dead that rat. you murdered right. with poison. And I had, I had like, I, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, uh, we we go to the Middle East and we we have um, uh, uh, drones that we just indiscriminately yeah. kill thousands of people. It's like playing a know? video game. But when like, I to, when I kill a rat, I'm like, I'm broken up about it for yeah. a day. You've got I too felt much compassion. I don't know if that's it. I just, uh, I don't know. Karma, man. I don't want to come back as a rat next time. No. Karma. I've been thinking about karma lately. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. Maybe I'll See, tell you about it <laughs> sometime. All right. Well, if we're going to talk about karma, oh. karma is a dangerous thought process to get involved in when you've done some sketchy shit earlier in your life. Because the you, you think that the bad things that happen to you are a result of the things that you've done in the past. When really... It's I don't, a previous life, probably. It could be. It could be. But I, I really think... You can really 
put on handcuffs on yourself on the way you think by by being completely consumed with the shit that you did in the past yeah. and the effect that it has in the present. So That's I right. don't know how healthy that view is. Probably not. It probably this is a case of keep your eyes on the prize and don't sweat the details type of thing and you know just keep doing your best and That's a lot worry. of platitudes in one sentence. I, I mean <laughs> that's how I would answer that, you know, just platitudes, bromides, just bromides. nonstop. But yeah, I mean if you're always thinking about you, you know what did I do and how is it affecting me now? Yeah, you could. Uh, I could see that as being crippling. So Living that's why I past. have, you know, no conscious whatsoever. No matter what I do, <laughs> I say that was for the best and we move on. Well, your past can inform your present, but it shouldn't dictate how you live in the present. Those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah, of course. I don't disagree. I'm going to have to cut out that dead air. I, I'm deliberately staring into the camera. Oh, yeah. Um, that reminds I'm me of something. I'm very self-conscious. I wanted to say something. Yes, I know you do. Welcome to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? Probably right where they're listening. That's the first place. That's the first place. That, yes. in fact, is the best place. Keep also, listening uh, right on this channel. Uh, MiddleAgesRecovery.com is up and running. Yes, it again. is. We had a little snafu earlier this month where our we lost our email on our website for a couple of days, but we ironed out the details. We're back. We're back in action. Back in business. Yeah. I, don't and worry actually, about it. I had a great talk with, um, I don't know um, if this is uh, stuff for the show, but I did speak with Soberlink at... Uh, Oh, yeah. G Money Smooth uh, was kind enough to introduce us. And um, it looks like they really want to work with us and we want to work with them. So you may be hearing more about Soberlink. I think it's a great just discussion topic in general. And this is not a free ad. <laughs> did they pay for this? They actually did not. So <laughs> I shouldn't say any more, but um, pretty interesting. You know, Grant's talked about uh, his experience with Soberlink yes. at some length. And um, it's that self-binding. It's, it's very interesting. So I'm excited about that partnership and I definitely want to do more shows so um yeah, well pretty uh, i'm not gonna, i'm not gonna let really the cat out of the bag but i will say that uh, grant may be making an appearance on the show in the next couple of weeks yeah. uh, to talk about his experiences uh, with Soberlink, among other things you know we want to get caught up with what he's been up to yeah what are uh, the, with uh, shatterproof you know besides grant also the great erin moore um oh yeah we haven't had her on a bit because we just haven't had a regular show we haven't, so, had, we haven't been on in a um, bit so. i hope uh, she's still interested in maybe doing a segment um when we yeah. get back and going, so look out for that. Yeah. Uh, also, guys, you might notice, for those of you who are watching this on video, there's T-shirts behind me. These are only two. I have a box of like 100 upstairs. So, yeah, we got uh, all these shirts. If for some reason the website isn't working, I should just do a test purchase just to see. Um, just email me. Mike R, middleagesrecovery.com. Yeah. We'll get one right out to you. Then We're we also, uh, join the Facebook group, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, smash the subscribe button on YouTube, please. Smash it. I think that helps us somehow. And we are oh, yeah, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, you can listen to us right. through YouTube. I think what we should do, and I'm having our employee meeting now, I think what we should do is um, is upload little videos. You know, who, you know why I say that? I was watching, I was doing some research for for Katie Lane's appearance on the show today. Yes. She has a YouTube channel, and that's basically her entire thing is is YouTube videos. 
Huh. They're very good and they're very concise and they, you know. I think that I'd love to be able to pull that off. Yeah, YouTube is is interesting because if if your whole deal is YouTube, like there's really ways to make money after a certain number of subscribers, but yeah. it, it's kind of a hill That's to climb. But yeah. when you do hit that, it, you know, it's pretty lucrative, I think. But so and I mean, you can just be sitting on the toilet and fire up, fire out a yeah. a video. You know, <laughs> that's what we should do. We should, you know, a video of the middle dead age, rat. middle age toilet, tips, toilet talk, toilet talk, <laughs> toilet talk tips with Mike from, and Nat. Tips from the toilet <laughs> with yeah. Mike and Nat. It's a guaranteed success. Um, <laughs> Glitter from the shitter. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, drop us a review. Did you say that? Because we have a drop review. us a review. Yeah. Great reviews will be read on the air, like the one that. We're going to be searching for. I have it. To read. Um, Here it is. You can do it on the Apple Podcast app or any of the other places. Leave us stars. Leave us spangles. Whatever. Yeah, you need stars. Things, you know. Um, also, if you call us on the hotline at 516-888-6297, that's 516-888-6297. Operators are standing by. They're waiting for you. To listen to your uh, tale of misery and woe uh, <laughs> that you... <laughs> To the, the, the way that life has grinded you down with alcohol and drug abuse. I'd like a feel-good story, <laughs> and, too, you know. Oh, yeah. Redemption. Redemption. It has to have an arc. Yeah. Uh, don't don't call us from, like, the pits of, of despair. Yeah, no, unless... No, of course you can. You can tell us about your despair and how you got out of it, but... Right. We need a, a, an act in three parts. A hero's journey is preferred. Yes, please. Right. And we'll play that on uh, the air. We will also. play it. Anyway, um, your story uh, is a big one. We we have a your story um, segment that we'll do sometimes if somebody sends us a really great story. Yeah. And today we have an actual a combination your story with a review. Okay, I got an email after this, but oh, uh, you got an email? Yeah. All right. Well, this is a long one here. Yeah, do it. Do it. <clears throat> okay. This is a five star uh, review from Randall Randell. Okay, he says. I will start out by saying that I have never struggled with addiction myself. I have a brother and sister who has, and my mother-in-law, uh, lost the, her struggle with addiction last May. Oh, no. uh, her death was a turning point for me. I had always judged those that struggled with addiction, including my sister and brother. The problem was I knew nothing about addiction. I didn't know how it affects the brain. and never understood why someone couldn't just stop using. Um, however, I was doing some research right before her death on mental illnesses, and that's when I discovered that addiction, a.k.a. substance use disorder, was a thing. That's interesting. Hmm. So, Rindal, um, you didn't even know that this was a real thing that people struggled with. Probably that was a medical condition. Hmm. Interesting. My wife had nothing. My wife had nothing but resentment towards her mom because of her addiction. Mm. And my discovery and research after her death has helped my wife get through the loss of her mom, forgive her and gave her pain some purpose. I'm sorry. I've only listened to a couple of episodes so far, but we'll be listening to more. Um, I've started my own podcast, Stop the Stigma, if you want to know, which I'm relaunching soon uh, to try and help others. And I have been listening to other similar podcasts, such as you guys, KDD and Dopey. Podcasts like you guys listening to stories as actually and actually researching has helped me understand SUD a lot more. So thank you. What's, what's KDD? KDD is knocking doors down. Oh, okay. um, oh, we were supposed to go on that show, but we never Where did. We? 
I don't I don't listen to recovery podcasts. Yeah, I haven't. Recently. You know, I, I I just I'm sorry. It was a serious email. What? Are you still reading it? Oh is yeah. There more? There's a little more. Okay, go go. go. You want to save your apology for your? Uh, yes, I'll apologize at the end. Horrendous behavior. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, I'll tell you why at the end. Go ahead. Then he goes on to say, I do want to mention something. In your most recent episode, you guys were talking about enabling. One of you mentioned, Mike, I believe, that you needed that love and support to help get clean, not the tough love. I want to add something to that. From my research, there is no actual proof that enabling keeps addiction alive or anything of the sort. You guys keep it up. I will listen to more episodes when I get a chance. Thank you for what you do for the recovery community. Much love. And that's uh, Randall from Stop the Stigma Podcast. Um, thanks for writing, and um, I'm sorry you had to go through that, and I'm, I'm glad, you know, that you were able to find some comfort with uh, doing research, you know. Sometimes just understanding something helps you to yeah. cope with it, you know. Yes. And, uh, thanks for writing, and, and check out that podcast, guys, if you, if you, if you could. Now, um, I broke out into laughter in the middle of the worst part of that because uh, I realized that <laughs> we're not actually videotaping any of this. We're and here we are smiling at the camera. <laughs> we're looking like a couple idiots at the camera. All right. Well, uh, it, we're going to start the video when Katie. Right. So the video <laughs> of the interview will be available, and I'll stop winking at the camera now because uh, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Now there's an email. What time is it? We well, have? we kind of we kind of got a. Let's put that in, hold that in abeyance, as we say. In abeyance. In abeyance. Uh, I'm going to read the intro to Katie because she's waiting in the green room, apparently. All right. Yeah. And I think they can, I think the guests in the green room can hear you. Um, I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, uh, so today we're going to talk about the Sinclair Method. And you folks may remember we did an episode on Claudia Christian's movie, One Little Pill, uh, back about a year and a half ago. Yeah, check that. Check out that episode too if you haven't. We uh, we go into the Sinclair method, which is basically a variety of medically assisted recovery. And um, Claudia was nice enough to email us or tw- tweeted us after the show, telling us that we got uh, a lot right, but we also got a lot, <laughs> a lot wrong. And uh, we were going to follow up with her and try and get her on for an interview, but it, it kind of fell by the wayside. So uh, we were very stoked when uh, Katie uh, reached out and asked if uh, she could come on the show. I guess Grant ran into her at a sober conference, and yeah. she was wearing a T-shirt that said, um, Hi, can she Katie, can you see us? Do I have to start? I think, uh, I think I she's frozen. She's frozen? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Oh, there she is. Wait, Wait, now there's two of her. There's two Katie's. <laughs> Which one do we trust? I don't That's know. I know. <laughs> they look the same. They're wearing the same clothes. The one on the left hasn't moved in a few minutes, so. Wait. Oh, shit. What did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get this frog out of my throat. That didn't help. Throw a fly down there. Is that better? What was that? Yes, Hi. I think that's better. Can not, you? It's clear. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm so glad that we finally are, got. Are we frozen work. or are we not frozen? No, you're not frozen. You're good right now. Super. Sometimes you know, just turning it off and turning it back on. That works with cars I know, and the TVs tried and true and, method. Yeah. Uh, okay. So thanks for uh, agreeing to do this, by the way. Uh, yeah, appreciate thanks for it. having me. Yeah, Did was, you read her like intro thing? I didn't because we were just blathering on about other right. unrelated stuff. So 
Starting the video camera is often a more professional way to do an interview. Yes, agreed. Uh, Katie Lane started on the Sinclair Method in 2017 after a nearly 10-year battle with alcohol. Uh, right away, she began documenting her success uh, uh, with uh, the method on her YouTube channel and has been part of the Sinclair Method community ever since. She has been a TSM coach and mentor for over three years and is a lifelong advocate of this life-saving method for getting free from AUD. Um, so, welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages. Yes, I'm so glad to have you on here. This is so I'm cool. so glad to be on here with you guys. Yeah, I, yeah. I love your podcast. You can bring a sense of humor to such a dark subject. It's like <laughs> an art, really. Thank, Thank you. you. So, yeah, the gallows humor knows no yeah. end here. It's, yeah. just, um, it's just, it's all gallows. <laughs> it's important, I think, and you've probably found this in uh, when you're meeting with other people and you're going to recovery meetings. Just like you can all, you've all been through that same very similar dark times and so it just it always helps yeah you know to get through it just to laugh a little so for so true. for our uh, listeners who did not listen to our episode on uh one little pill and claudia christensen uh can you maybe just give a little sketch of what the sinclair method is yeah by the way i want to say that's a great episode for people who haven't used the sinclair method like you guys did an incredible job explaining it and, and the movie and all of that. So great job for Thank people you. who haven't listened to it. I definitely recommend listening. Thank you to so it. much. Yeah, I think Claudia wasn't as wasn't as thrilled with it. Though. No, she, <laughs> she was not happy. She sent us a little <laughs> note saying, "Hey, you got a couple of things wrong." But like, oh, so it's right. all good. Oh, no. <laughs> That's okay. Well, maybe I missed a couple of things. <laughs> yeah. No. So I'm sorry. The question you wanted me to tell you a little. Yeah, tell just, your audience just a, a thumbnail sketch of what the Sinclair method is. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a really, in my mind, it's a revolutionary way to overcome alcohol addiction, especially for people who can't seem to get sober, like myself. Um, a lot of people come to this method who uh, keep relapsing. You know, they're, they're trying to quit drinking and then they, they relapse over and over again. Or people who are still currently drinking, it can help them to um, reduce their alcohol consumption or ultimately go alcohol free. So it's a science-based treatment protocol that's been around for almost 30 years, but a lot of people still don't know about it. Um, it uses a medication called naltrexone, which is an opiate blocker medication, not to be confused with an opiate. Naltrexone is non-addictive. It's widely available, very affordable. Um, it, it uses that medication combined with alcohol. So people following the Sinclair method, um, they continue to drink and they take the naltrexone an hour or two before their first alcoholic drink of the day. And over time, what happens through this method for most people, um, it has a clinically proven 78% success rate, which is incredible. Wow, that's but amazing. I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, for most people, what happens when they drink on this medicine, it's a gradual process, but they essentially unlearn the behavior of alcohol use disorder. And the result of that is fewer alcohol cravings, uh, easier alcohol-free days, and more of an off switch. If someone's continuing to drink, you know, they can feel satiated after a couple of drinks. So um, that's a Sinclair method protocol, essentially, is taking naltrexone an hour or two before the first alcoholic drink of the day and doing that compliantly and correctly over a long period of time typically six months to a year or more mm. yeah and it flies in the face of other recovery methods right just like they're part of the the method is you've got to drink you know so you have that i think they call right. it pharmacological extinction i like big words yeah mm. um and that's one of them but um yeah so it's really counterintuitive people hear about this method and i think especially traditional recovery types you know, it's like anathema to them to, to actually yeah. say, yes, you've got to have a drink with the pill. So, Right. 
Uh, yeah, and that's that's you know, it's certainly not uh, an approach that sort of dovetails in with the twelve step or or AA. Uh, right, no. because yeah. and it works, you know. Right. Well, <laughs> that's another that, way it doesn't dovetail that, with twelve right. step because it actually that, works. That's the other issue, yeah. right? What, I mean, the success rate of uh, Sinclair method is seventy eight percent, and I've seen the success rate of twelve step range anywhere from like five percent up to like fifteen yeah. percent, depending on who you talk to. But it, it, it's a it's a really interesting and, and approach that should have much more publicity than it does. How did you? come across it? How did you get started with the Sinclair method? What's your story, I guess, is, is sort of a <laughs> yeah. broader question. Yeah, no, um, I know it, the success rate of it is just, it, it blows my mind. And, you know, we're not anti-AA, of course, like I know people in my life who are sober through that, but it's just mm. an alternative for those who that program doesn't work for because it doesn't work for a lot of people. But uh, like a lot of people, I stumbled on it by accident through the, you know, now almost 4 million view, I think, TED Talk, uh, TEDx Talk, Claudia Christian did who is the actress who's, you know, has the nonprofit and is a real advocate for it. Um, I would always search online, like when I was hungover, like how to quit drinking or, you know, mm -hmm. what, what are ways to reduce my cravings? You know, I was always looking for information and accidentally stumbled upon this video. And like a lot of people, when I watched her TEDx talk, I thought this is way too good to be true. You know, like that, that's what a lot of people think when yeah. they, they learn about it because it completely turns a traditional kind of treatment on its head. Like you can never drink again. And, you know, you're got to call yourself an alcoholic and, you know, just kind of work the steps and all of that. Again, not to knock it, but um, that wasn't something that was working for me. Um, so stumbled on it. And, you know, back then that was in 2016. It took me a while to get naltrexone. It's more readily, readily available now. Just again, I know you guys talked about in your episode, a lot of doctors don't know about it. So mm -hmm. I asked a lot of doctors and they're like, no, I, we won't prescribe it, you know, and they just didn't know enough about it. So is that, uh, was, finally, that, was that the resistance uh, that, that that's where that was coming from? It was just a lack of knowledge or was there some, some other reason that they weren't interested in, in pursuing that kind of a thing or per prescribing you know that kind of a drug? It was a lack of knowledge. Cause I called like five or six doctor doctors in my area. Like my GP refused it. And then I was just calling other random doctors. And I think my issue was, is I was calling like treatment centers mm. and they will prescribe it. I know you guys talked about getting prescribed Vivitrol when you leave treatment. And so they'll prescribe it but they'll give it to you with the uh, recommendation to stay abstinent and take it daily. Mm. And so that's who I was primarily reaching out to thinking, Oh, a specialist will help an addiction specialist. But the places I were calling was calling, you know, they require abstinence. They, they weren't open to harm reduction. Right. right. Completely against it. And that's, that's one of yeah. the things that, you know, with the research we did, just like I've being around 12 step for a very long time, you know, that the, the very minute you say you've got to drink with, for this recovery method to work. It's just, I feel like it's a, a hard stop. Like they just can't yeah. possibly, you know, see, see that, uh, that could be helpful. So yeah, that must be very difficult. So, yeah. so, so a lot of people are quite opposed to it. I went to an addiction conference, which is actually how I learned about your podcast, like earlier this year. And 99.9% .9 of the people like were just looking at me like I was crazy when I was trying to tell them about this method. And they're like, okay, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, but good luck to you. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, is, is Sinclair, uh, is it, it's not an abstinent method, right? I mean, if you, if you want to continue to drink while you're taking, uh, naltrexone, you can, um, mm -hmm. but do you sort of get to, um, abstinence sort of through the back door, you know, like as, as you go on as the, the medication, as I understand it, it reduces your uh, desire to drink because it sort of screws around with your dopamine and, and sort of fills that, that gap in there. And I'm not really saying it very artfully, but it, it sort of takes away the compulsion, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it takes away. And I noticed this too when um, when I first had the Vivitrol shot, <clears throat> and they explain it to you and everything. And I was very interested in the way that it works, you know, in the brain and everything. And and really, what it does overall now, Trexone being Vivitrol is just a brand name. Yeah. You really don't feel those cravings. And when I went on Naltrexone, I didn't do it as a Sinclair method, it, you know. Um, but what I noticed was because I did relapse, quote unquote, like when I took my Naltrexone, I, I drank, you know, but it's because I'm, I'm an idiot, not because, you know, for any good reason. But what I noticed was I did have, you know, a reduction in uh, craving symptoms for alcohol, Mm. You know, so I definitely, I get it. I, I can picture how it feels to all of a sudden. And I still sometimes I'm like, I should be craving a drink right now. I just had a stressful day. But that feeling of that compulsion seems to, you know, abate quite a bit. Yeah, it does. And it's interesting because, you know, obviously the Sinclair Method Protocol, you're drinking on the medication, um, which is one way to do it. There's definitely research out there to show that it can help, like in the way you took it with, you know, daily, taken daily with abstinence or, um, you know, the Vivitrol shot. But in Dr. Sinclair's research, he did prove that, you know, his method is more effective than like a daily dose with abstinence because you're really targeting the reward from alcohol. And by doing that over and over again, it's reinforcing that alcohol does not equal this huge flood of endorphin reward. Um, and to your question earlier of like, you know, can you get abstinent through the back door? A lot of people do wind up going alcohol free, myself included. I started on this treatment, no intention to quit drinking. Um, but over the course of the year, I just really fell out of love with alcohol and it was mm. easier for me to not drink. Like it just didn't occur to me to drink anymore. And after going four months of not drinking, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to drink anymore. And that was um, four years ago. And what's great about it is it really meets people where they're at because I think most people they can't imagine quitting drinking. Like that's like the hardest thing right. to even like fathom. And so they start there. And a lot of people I talk to, they're like, I have no intention to quit. I'm like, that's great. Just try to, you know, start by reducing. And for a lot of people, they get to a place, you know, after a year or two on this method where they're drinking so infrequently that they're practically sober anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but when they're drinking, following this protocol, you know, they're taking the medicine and it's uh, protecting them from relearning or, you know, that typical relapse of like one drink leads to a binge. Like as long as you continue on the medication treatment, you're protected and you're kind of relapse proof yeah it takes away that sometimes that subconscious like a good way to think about it when i'm explaining it to people i say <clears throat> think about it like muscle memory so like yeah. if you're practicing the guitar and you're working on a few chords that are tricky the more you do it the easier it gets to to grab the chord and so it's sort of a reverse uh, muscle memory or, or giving you new muscle memory so instead of your brain remembering hey last time i, I had a drink I got this spike of dopamine. I felt good. Instead of having that memory now, when you, you know, take it an hour before and then you have a drink, like we said before, you don't get that same reward. And now your brain starts to remember something different. And so you have a less chance or, or less occurrences of having that, you know, brain craving. Yeah. I mean, exactly. You do have that flood of endorphins and everything, and now Trexone blocks that. But how important is it to work on other aspects of your life at the same time, like using some cognitive behavioral therapy to sort of unravel the whole ideas in your mind that you have about alcohol, the, the, what you perceive that alcohol has, is doing for you in a positive way? I mean, is that part of the, the, the methodology? It is. And I know you guys touched on that on your episode you did about the documentary One Little Pill. And it's tro it's absolutely crucial. Like, you know, anyone with common sense would recognize that a pill is not going to fix like our, 
relationship with alcohol, which is often very complicated. And, um, you know, there's a lot of history and memory and emotions and things linked to it. So typically what we tell people is like the medication and the Sinclair method is a 50% of it. It's a crucial 50%. Like, I don't know that I would be where I am today without it, truthfully. Um, but the other 50% is the, you know, typical recovery work of lifestyle, habit, behavior change, really changing your relationship with alcohol at its core. Because I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, is a great thing, but it's also sort of difficult with the Sinclair method is you're still drinking. And so a lot of us, we have years or decades of, you know, a type of relationship with alcohol where we're using it as a coping tool or just to numb out or to black out or whatever it is, or as a social lubricant or things like that. And so through this method, you know, your desire for alcohol fades away, but people can still kind of use it as that coping tool. And so a lot of people I talk to, they'll tell me, you know, I don't really have a desire to drink anymore, but I notice that I'm drinking more than I want to anyway, or, you know, I have two glasses of wine and I want to stop, but I finished the whole bottle. Like, why is that? And, you know, that kind of goes back to the example of, you know, if someone's eating ice cream, like if they're eating the whole tub of ice cream and they're not hungry, it's like, okay, well, there's some reason why they're kind of binge eating on, on the ice cream. So similar thing with, you know, the Sinclair method. And that's why it's a long-term treatment protocols. It takes time to kind of shift those behaviors and find new coping tools. But what's, what's great about this method is that it can be done gradually and you can still continue to drink. It's not like alcohol is abruptly removed and all of a sudden you're just like left bare to like figure all this out. Like you could still use alcohol, right. but, you know, simultaneously gradually changing habits and things like that. So it's a really gentle way to go about it. Which is a big sea change in, in the way you approach recovery versus a 12-step abstinence-based way where you basically just pull that thing away, that thing that's given you all that comfort for all those years, and all of a sudden you're left sitting in a room with a bunch of people you don't really know, having to talk about you know your, your deeper innermost core uh, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, definitely uh, uh, would have been a more preferred approach for me had I known about it at, at the time that I quit. Um, but um, but they they put so much. I think part of it, and I've thought about this quite a bit. Like, what is <clears throat> the resistance? Like, why is this so difficult? But in twelve step, um, from what from my experience, it's very you know it's a religious or a very very spiritual God based program. And what they do is they make alcohol like Satan, basically. Like, here's the good, you know, your twelve step meeting, and here is evil alcohol or drugs. Yeah. And so it gets almost impossible to unlearn for some of the people who have been in it a long time where you're telling them, you know, this guy is red, it's not blue, you know, and they, they can't come around to that because they've got this moral, uh, it's like a moral problem. Like alcohol yeah. becomes in itself evil and the thing instead of the behavior. And so I think that the Sinclair method is more, you know, I don't want to say logical, but it, it's it's science, not looking at it's science, science based. based right and um, i think that's important spirit there's a lot of room for spiritual programs in fact that's most of what's out there but i think there could be some room for a little bit of science uh, maybe well it may be putting the cart before the horse right maybe you need to stop the behavior before you start looking at exactly what is going on but what if the, the drink is creating the behavior well I mean, the thing is, your brain is so screwed up, right? Like when you're my brain in a, in a well, <laughs> that, that goes without saying. But, but it, you're in this constant cycle, right? And you made a couple of good videos on this that I was watching earlier today. Like, um, like when you're drinking, you 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 look around and like you think that like I think you used the example of you're walking down the street at night and you know you you see 
everybody out there and you think they all want to drink as much as I do. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but they probably don't, you know, <laughs> usually they didn't want to drink as but much. But I mean, as your I brain did. is just wired yeah. to, to, to like, it's like such, so, so pro alcohol. Like you think everybody wants to drink and they're, the reason they're not drinking is not because they don't want to not drink. It's because they're barely holding it together because they really want to go out there and get, get wasted. Right. Yep. Exactly. And that's what, like, I didn't realize how much I was thinking about alcohol and how much it was just yes. constantly on my mind until I started this protocol. Cause I, what I realized was that I would drink pretty much seven days a week and I would start thinking about drinking at 11. Like, should mm -hmm. I drink? Shouldn't I drink? Do I have wine? Do I need to stop at the store? And kind of that internal battle. And as I got going on this method, it was like, after a few months, I'd be like two or three in the afternoon. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about drinking today. And it was just like this surprise essentially. And so, yeah, that's one of the things that works to repair. And you were talking earlier about, you know, AA and like the kind of belief system in there. And sometimes like we never recommend if someone's alcohol free and that is working for them, like we never want to tell someone to start drinking. Right. But You're not saying start drinking. It right? crossed my right. mind today. I'm like, maybe I need to go back and go on Sinclair so I can have a couple of drinks. <laughs> People get so mad at me for that. And I never want to to do that. You know, like, you know, that's not what I'm promoting, but there's like so many people that are struggling still like 35 million people in the U S alone with alcohol use disorder. It's like the, for those people that are struggling. And it does happen sometimes where someone's in AA and they're like, this is not working for me. Like, I know I'm going to relapse. I'm still obsessing about drinking. And yeah. so they will transition to the Sinclair method, mm. uh, to, in order to reach the pharmacological extinction, um, which does not mean abstinence, by the way, it just means the brain is essentially restored to the pre-addicted state. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting idea that your brain is restored to the pre-existing state because they you know, they've done cat scans on people that have um uh, been drinking for years and there are structural changes in the brain and I I get, I gather you're not saying that those structural changes necessarily go back to baseline more that the way that you view alcohol vis-a-vis -vis you has returned to something more approaching normalcy. Yeah, it's just not like a, you know, because like when we've um, drank, like when we've craved alcohol and drank like repeatedly for years or decades, it makes these super highways in our brain, essentially, where even just like one thought of alcohol can lead us to drink. There's like mm -hmm. no even no space to even like think about it. And so through repeated drinking on naltrexone, it breaks that down so that there's more space within us. So like, you know, I haven't drank in four years. I still think about drinking sometimes, but it's not a craving. It's just like a, a thought that pops into my head and I, I don't have to battle with it. I don't feel triggered by it. Right. Like I feel completely free. Like I, I tell people sometimes, you know, I've never smoked cigarettes, so I don't know what it's like to be addicted to cigarettes. And so I don't worry that tomorrow I'm going to go out and start smoking. It just doesn't even occur to me. There's like no memory in my brain. And mm. that's kind of what I describe with what happened with the Sinclair method. It's like the addiction's kind of been erased from my brain. And that's quite a bit different than people who are, you know, taking it one day at a time and, you know, 452 days sober, like nothing wrong with that. But like, I don't even remember the last day I drank because mm -hmm. I didn't mean for it to be my last day. It just kind of was by accident. And um, I know that I'm approximately, you know, four years alcohol free. I knew it was the month of August. So, you know, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a true freedom from, from the addiction and it, it restores your brain back to the state it was in before, before you had alcohol addiction. So, you know, there's no preoccupation or, or craving or obsession with it. You know, I, I experienced that very same thing. I'm about four and a half years, um, without a drink. And I have those thoughts too. Like even this week I had a really rough week at work and I would think to myself, not, I want to drink. 
but wow, this would really be one of those times mm-hmm. where I used to go get a drink, you know, and and uh, so the same as as what you were just describing. It's like a passing thought, but it's not something that that's grabbing you like it used to grab me, you know. So it's really amazing. Do you mind if I ask how long sure. were you on Vivitrol for? Well, I had a few different bouts with Vivitrol and naltrexone. So the first time um, I got it at the end of rehab, where that was part of the program, really. They like really pushed everyone to get this Vivitrol shot before you were released. And so that first time, I did it for about three months, and then I went back out. I was actually addicted to heroin back then, too, so that was wow. really great. That was my main reason for Vivitrol was a heroin addiction. So it was great for that. <laughs> um, but I, I wasn't ready to get clean off of heroin at that time. So I was still in like addict mode and, you know, I just went back to it, but I stopped taking it deliberately just to use. So the next time I did it, the time where it worked, I was on naltrexone, the pill, um, which I was prescribed by an addiction medicine doctor that was at an outpatient that I used to go to. And, uh, I had just had a nasty relapse. Like I OD'd, I nearly died. And so this was my coming back from that, sitting with the doctor going, now what do I do? And he was like, well, have you ever tried naltrexone and uh, Camprol? He named these two drugs. And I said, no, I've, I, I know naltrexone. I did the Vivitrol shot once. Long story short, I said, I'm willing to do pretty much anything at this point. Whatever this doctor tells me, I'm going to do it. Uh, the only thing I didn't do that he told me to do was exercise for 30 minutes a day. <laughs> Maybe I should have done that. I but, mean, there's just some things you can't do. All so long. I really <laughs> stuck with it. I was taking my Camperol and I took the Naltrexone. It was about six months before I started to come off of it. But I could feel the difference weeks yeah. later or even less, you know, because I was really like, and I was still going to recovery meetings. I was an outpatient. I had a probation officer, I think, still at that time. So I was very wrapped up you know, in the recovery system, you could say. So it was on top of everything else I was doing. But after about six months, uh, I started to just, the doctor said, okay, we can back off of these pills now. How do you feel? That sort of thing. And after another month or so, I came off of it and I never got that feeling. To, and I didn't crave heroin. I didn't crave alcohol. I just, I felt good, you know, it, it was amazing. So about six months, that's a long answer to that question. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you saying that because I just want to say real quick, like I've been, you know, obviously I have my own success with the Sinclair method and I've been such an advocate for it. And kind of in, in David Sinclair's research, he kind of compared, you know, daily naltrexone with abstinence to the targeted use while still drinking. And he kind of in- equated the daily use to like a sugar pill that it was basically really ineffective. So that was mm. uh, my lens for a while that I saw it through. But I've dug into more research because mm. there are, you know, papers out there that show that daily naltrexone with abstinence really can help with alcohol cravings. And anecdotally, I've heard from a bunch of people over the years who've who've um, had success with that because even just thinking about drinking or being in an environment yeah. where you drink, like just the anticipation is producing those endorphins and feel-good hormones. So if yeah. you're on naltrexone, it's damp- damping yeah. those. And so you know, it, it can work in that way. It so does. It, it is another approach. So but, if you're, if you're on Sinclair, can you, can you also quit smoking as sex addiction and eating disorders at the same time? Because it attacks the same dopamine pathway, right? Yes, you can. I mean, <laughs> it's not a guarantee, but that's what they told us. You know, the doctor who was educating us on it pretty much said, you know, and I did quit smoking too. They said, all of your cravings will be dampened. Did you find that too? 
See, so I remember you saying that on your interview about smoking, and I've always been told that it doesn't work in the same reward center as smoking. It hmm. does work for food addiction, gambling, porn, hmm. for people who lose their interest in coffee through it. Um, well, it's probably for me, and marijuana kept... addiction is another one. Oh, um, marijuana I, addiction? Yeah. I used to smoke marijuana when I would drink, and I quit both of those like through the method. So, yeah, it, it really, um, yeah, it, it can work for those other addictions. And there's more and more use now too for like there's a website that provides support for porn addiction, which I know is really prevalent. Um, using naltrexone and another medication as well. Yeah. Um, Have you heard of Camprol too? It's uh, the other drug that I took. A campersite, I think, is the um, the generic name for it. And that's a pill you have to take three times a day, every day. But I don't know if my combination, I mean, this particular doctor was very, you know, very up on me using these medications together. Maybe if I did Sinclair, I wouldn't need both medications, I wonder. But I definitely relapsed. The first time I was on Vivitrol, I drank on it, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to get drunk. But obviously, I mean, I didn't really get drunk and it was weird. But maybe that's when I got my... uh, (laughs) <laughs> my pharmacological extinction, but um, yeah, it's how, interesting. How important is the desire to stop? Because can you drink through it? Like, can you drink through it, uh, through the pill? Yeah, yeah, you can drink through it. And, you know, it's not even a desire to stop. It's just a desire to gradually change your drinking habits and drink less, okay, really. So it's like with anything, if someone starts this treatment because their wife wants them to or something, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to be first of all, probably super motivated to Mm -hmm. take the pill correctly because that's like the golden rule. You have to take it correctly 100% of the time. Um, And then, yeah, if you're, if someone's drinking, you know, hard alcohol and they're taking shots, it can overpower the effects of the naltrexone or even people who are drinking somewhat slowly, they'll tell me, you know, I get the off switch. Like I don't really want another drink, kind of like how we're full, but we keep eating anyway. So they keep drinking anyway. And that's like really the signal to, you know, address the underlying reasons of yeah. why someone is drinking in the first place and work on new coping tools and things like that. So it's not like, you know, foolproof hundred percent of the time it's going to work. If someone's really, you know, not ready to make that change mm-hmm. in their relationship with alcohol, you know, it, that's still a process even with the Sinclair method. But in my opinion, the Sinclair method made it, makes it much easier to do. Um, but sometimes I've seen people, they start on it and they're like, okay, this is working too well. I'm not quite ready for that yet. And they put it on the shelf for a period of time, but at least they know that it's there when they are ready. So, uh, how long did you take naltrexone or do you continue to, I mean, if you're not drinking, no, no. Do you, you keep taking it or how long did you stay on naltrexone before, you know, you decided that you would be safe to stop trying drinking and um, taking the pill? I did it for about a year. So I don't take it anymore because I don't drink anymore. And I was taking it and I, I still have some though. Cause I'm like, well, maybe I'll drink again one day, but I just haven't had the desire to, uh, um, but I yeah. took it for a year and took it, you know, I started drinking, I started the treatment while I was drinking pretty much seven days a week. And I remember my doctor saying, try to drink every day for the first 30 days, because the idea is to help your brain kind of la- lay that foundation of pharmacological extinction with enough repetition of it. <laughs> and I was really excited about yes, that. But sir. I remember like, <laughs> I know a weekend I was like, I don't want to drink today like this is a miracle which like i was happy to drink seven days a week you know back then but started it drinking every day so i was taking it every day and then just gradually over the course of a year i would like shave a day off a week where i was like oh i'm having one alcohol free day then two then three and got to the point um after a year on the method where i was drinking about once once a month one glass of wine once a month like with dinner or something like that and um yeah that was the point where i just 
stopped drinking. And so I haven't taken it in four years either. But that's kind of the beauty of the method too. You only take it when you're drinking. So for a lot of people, they're taking it pretty infrequently um, the longer they're on the method. Mm. Do they, do you have support groups like a peer-to-peer Sinclair method, you know, because if it's difficult for you to, you know, AA is great because it's everywhere, no matter what country yeah. you're in. Now, if you're on this, if you're doing the Sinclair method, the Sinclair protocol, I like the way you put that. Um, is there a place uh, where you, do you meet with other people who are recovering from Sinclair? I mean, you will because you talk about it, you know, on, besides that, but like if the average person who goes on the Sinclair method, what are the, the support options for, for that? Yeah, so it's it's true. Like if someone tries to go to AA with this treatment, it's not really well supported. Typically, if people are benefiting from AA, they just won't tell people that they're doing the Sinclair method. Um, I've heard some kind of like bad stories of people that were honest with their sponsor about it. <laughs> um, so AA is not great, but you know, actually there are free online TSM meetings. It's If you go to tsmmeetups.com, that was something that I actually started with Claudia Christian like years ago. We started just having these online meetings and now they've evolved into meetings every day that are run by volunteers. I don't run them anymore. I, I kind of handed them over. Um, but that's like a free resource for people. They're peer led. So, you know, you're getting that peer support and they're done through Zoom. Um, and then, you know, I run Thrive Alcohol Recovery where we have a whole online comprehensive program that guides people through it step by step. There's also free Facebook groups as well if people want that level of support. Um, getting support, like we kind of talked about earlier, is really important. Like I was honestly one of those people that thought that a pill was going to fix my drinking. I just thought, oh, I like to drink, you know, I'm a party girl or whatever. And uh, when I started on it a few months in, like all this stuff started to surface mm-hmm. that I'd been numbing for 10 years. And I was like, okay, I, I actually need to get some more support here. And that's where sometimes people will maybe stop doing the method because they're not, again, ready to make those changes. But I started going to a therapist and, you know, right. doing the actual recovery work, which is, you know, still required as part of this treatment. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Um, when you first started on this Sinclair method, like, what did the rest of your recovery look like? Like, what was going on in your life? Like, did you try to go to 12-step or did you, like, what did you do to, to take care of those other issues, you know, the underlying issues? Yeah, I didn't go to 12 step because I tried AA years earlier and went twice and was like, this is not for me. Like, I just didn't want to go to that program again. Um, (laughs) But I started the treatment honestly naive, just thinking, oh, this pill will help me drink less. But as I was, uh, you know, making progress on it, all this stuff started to surface. And I really started to see how my life was built from the perspective of someone who had an alcohol addiction. So there were all of these things in my life that I had to change, just relationships and jobs and routines and things like that. And so um, for me, I started taking like personal development workshops and just reading a lot of books, taking courses online. I'm kind of like an introvert and like to do stuff on my own. So it was kind of like my own little piecemealed recovery journey. I also did start seeing a therapist who really helped with a lot of that stuff. But, you know, uh, sometimes what I see with people on this method is, like I said, like they, they have these kind of things in their life that are driving them to drink, whether it's relationships or jobs or things like that. And um, 
if someone's not really changing these things in their life, they can, you know, drink more than they want to or not see the progress that they're after on the Sinclair method. And that was true for me. I, I had a job that was like, I, I hated that job and it was causing me to drink more than I wanted to. And so part of this journey was like leaving that job and figuring out, you know, who I was when I, you know, wasn't someone who had an alcohol addiction. And I've heard people say that before, that that's like a terrifying thought of like, who am I when I don't have this addiction anymore? I'm sure you, yeah. know, you guys can relate to that yeah. too. Anyone can relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. But the people who have the most success in, in recovery are people who take a multidisciplinary approach and they, they do the therapy and they do the yeah. spiritual stuff, you know, whatever that means to them. And, and they mm-hmm. engage in, uh, in science-based evidence-based treatment. You know, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's a huge part of recovery. It needs to be a bigger part of recovery. To that end, like, what do you, what do you think, you know, we've, we're using the term alcohol use disorder, which really makes me feel good because I, I, I cannot stand the term alcoholic. I think it's extremely limiting. I think there's all kinds of issues with it. Um, and I, I mean, what do you think, what do you think of that idea? Uh, I mean, alcohol use disorder is a spectrum, right? And you have people who, you know, maybe have a couple of drinks a night, but are still obsessed about alcohol to the point where it's like governing their lives and they want to, you, you know, plan your day around you it. You plan your day around it. You have to have it every day. And then at the other end, you have the, you know, the stereotypical drunk under the bridge, right? Yeah. Is, is there, is there a type of drinker for whom the Sinclair method is more effective on, on either end of the, uh, of the spectrum? You know, not necessarily. I've seen it work for extreme alcoholism, where someone is drinking a half gallon of vodka every single day for years. Um, And then also more like the mild, you know, the person who has only two glasses of wine every night. But like you said, they're like kind of obsessing on it and it's an issue. Um, It can work for anyone along the spectrum and people who are more severe cases, this method can help them reduce in a way where they're, you know, reducing slowly enough so that if they're, you know, concerned about withdrawal effects, it can minimize those. Sometimes they work with physicians that will put them on other medications that may help with withdrawal. But no, I I really see it work along the spectrum. And I think the biggest factor is, is like, again, whether someone's really ready to make that change. Um, I've had clients where they're, you know, they're not drinking a ton, but they're really attached to their wine ritual every night, for example. It's Mm -hmm. a really common one for people. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, they're, they're, you know, not starting it in an extreme case, but like they're having a really hard time letting go of the habit. And then others, I know of a gentleman who he, he was the example of drinking a half gallon of vodka a day. And in four months, he was like drinking one beer once a month, but he was like so motivated and just super engaged in the treatment. Um, But no, it can really work for, for the spectrum. And even in the studies that they show because it's got the clinically proven 78% success rate, a portion of the people it didn't work for were people who just weren't taking the medication correctly. Mm-hmm. And so that is like one of the more common challenges that people have because you can still get drunk, you can still black out, you can get intoxicated, all of that, but it's just not the same like euphoric buzz. Right. Um, so people sometimes miss that. And so they, you know, again, they want to numb out. So they skip naltrexone and that just really throws it off. Like even if they're skipping the dose once in a while, it just, they're never going to get to the pharmacological extinction if they're giving their brain that reward reinforcement even just on occasion i think what's another thing that's great about sinclair and and medically assisted recovery is it it um it validates the idea that you don't have to hit some kind of a rock bottom Mm -hmm. before you get help for an alcohol condition which because you know studies have shown and the science shows that early interventions are better end up with better results right Mm -hmm. so 
you, you know, the person who is just a casual drinker who still considers their relationship with alcohol problematic, they may go to AA and they may be told, like, you know, I'm not come, one of these. come back when yeah. you've got a real problem. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and I've yeah. heard that in the rooms before. Yeah, come back when you've got a real problem, yeah. you know. Which, which yeah. I think is incredibly harmful and it keeps a lot of people from getting help who could potentially be getting help at an earlier state. Yeah, know? or the yeah. one of us or one of them type of thinking. Like there's us and then there's the normies or yeah. sometimes we call them civilians yes. you know I, I i cannot stand that dichotomy yeah I, because I think it, it's extremely unhelpful it leaves people out who probably would benefit greatly from cutting down on their drinking just because they didn't kill somebody in a dwi crash and you know yeah. it's like you don't you know the way i see it is the only rock bottom that matters is death you know, mm. everything else you can come back from, right? you know, so as soon as it's starting to mess up your, your life or your health, or you just don't like the way you feel, it should be, you know, easy for anyone to feel good about doing something like the Sinclair method. It should be normalized to the point where you can walk into your, your, yes. your primary care physician yeah. say that you, your relationship with alcohol is getting a little dodgy and like they smoking. should write yours. Yeah. They, they have write, like Chantex or Chantex, whatever that yeah. right? is. You know, Why can't it be like that? Yeah. Um, which leads me to my next question. I was, when I watched one little pill, um, I remember Claudia talking about how she had trouble just getting naltrexone prescribed. Now, part of that is because it's just ignorance or the people, you know, maybe not ignorance, but they're not educated on yeah. it. They've never heard of it. Even addiction medicine doctors, because in my time um, in the system, so to speak, I dealt with a lot of different types, you know, psychiatrists, clinicians, all different kinds and, and different doctors. And only when I got that one doctor who finally prescribed that to me, I had never heard of Camperol. I knew naltrexone, but I only knew it from my heroin days. Like mm -hmm. nobody ever approached me about using naltrexone or Vivitrol for drinking. It was always geared towards. So when I was first introduced to Vivitrol, it was 100% focused on uh, opiates. And I only learned about the, the drinking thing like that when i read the wikipedia on it it was like what what is this medic medication i'm taking and it said originally developed you know to help drinking and i thought wow that's really interesting <laughs> and so until that final doctor dr belkin um i can't believe i remember his name uh when he finally said to me this will help with your alcohol cravings because that's what i was really struggling with yeah. You know, it's a lot easier for me to not go and buy heroin because I'm not usually around a situation like that just because of my, you my life. You can't get it at 7-Eleven. You can't get it at 7-Eleven, but I can go to Chuck E. Cheese for a birthday party and I can get a Heineken if right. I want. Yeah. Uh, and so, I thought uh, you were going to say you could get heroin from Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. Only, <laughs> only certain ones. You have to be in the know. You got to go behind the dumpster. <laughs> right, and the rat will meet you back there. Yeah. <laughs> so do, do you feel like it's easier today compared to when Claudia made that documentary? Are, are doctors more educated? I guess is my thing I'm asking. Well, it's easier. Even when I started on it in 2016, it was really hard to get it. It took me a couple of months, um, but it is easier today, not necessarily because doctors are more educated, but because there's more providers like telemedicine doctors that specialize in it and they will prescribe it. Like here in the U.S., there, we work with doctors in all 50 states that you can meet with through Zoom for a couple hundred bucks and they'll get you a prescription for an Altrexone. And sometimes it's covered by insurance. Now, if someone goes to their GP and asks for it, I would say there's a 50-50 chance of whether or not they'll prescribe it. Some are really open to it and on board, but others are just like, no, it's not my specialty. Like, go see a specialist. Right. Um, 
so that's the challenge. But it was interesting because I was at an addiction conference and I was talking with a, a, an addiction specialist who's been in this field. He was an old man. He's been in this field for decades and he's known about naltrexone for alcohol since the 80s. And I was mm. like, well, why hasn't it taken off more? You know, why isn't it more well known? And he said, well, we just believe that abstinence is better. And so we don't really want to promote a harm reduction approach. But if you look at the <laughs> failure rate of abstinence programs, it's like 80% or more of people relapse in six months after treatment. And so I'm just like, that is crazy. But that's that kind of the consensus. And even some doctors that prescribe naltrexone for the Sinclair method, they still want their patients to be abstinent. Like they'll be, they're like, okay, you can do the Sinclair method, but you have to be abstinent. And that's yeah. a real conflict for people. You know, it's, it's confusing and there, it breeds guilt. Like, well, should I try not to drink? You know, mm. what am I doing here? So it totally um, breeds yeah. guilt. And, and it's the same thing with the abstinence programs and even, uh, even like um, Prozac, you know, you were talking about how some people are on the Sinclair method. They don't tell their sponsor. Well, there's people who I've, I've heard, you know, who have mentioned that they, they're on Prozac and they're afraid to tell their NA sponsor or, mm -hmm. but I think that's a general attitude that, you know, medicine bad, you know, God good. Mm -hmm. um, and never the twain shall meet, you know? Um, so it's very hard for somebody to get around it. Even a doctor who should, you know, by all rights, be a little bit more logical and science-based, they still have that ingrained. It's from their whole life of, you know, of course you're not going to drink on a recovery method. What are you nuts? They just can't possibly wrap their mind around it. Well, so, AA has had a monopoly on the, on the recovery scene for so long mm -hmm. that the, the assumptions that are baked into that program are baked into the, recovery writ large right and know, they were you, reflecting society i think at large and yeah you know. i mean there's nothing wrong with having spirituality as a part of your recovery but it shouldn't be like a re the required part of your recovery you shouldn't have to mm -hmm. slot that into your yeah. recovery for it to work that for recovery to stick i you know? i agree and um and that actually i had one question i wanted to ask you i'm glad you brought up spirituality is you know, we, you didn't talk much about your spiritual practices, if you have any. And I know that the Sinclair Method doesn't revolve around that, but I'm wondering, did you do, do you have a spiritual side to Katie Lane? Is there a meditating? Are you praying? Are you going to church? Is there anything like that that's also helping you? Yeah, I mean, so I'm glad you asked that. When I was on the Sinclair Method, I was very much like, I was in like the new age, which not to knock that, but that was that I, I was in for 10 years, like Buddhism and stuff. But um, two and a half years ago, I actually uh, became a Christian. Like oh. that completely changed my life, like becoming uh, a believer in Jesus Christ, which uh, that was like, I used to make fun of believers, right. like be make fun of people that follow Jesus, like secretly. But um, yeah, I'm kind of the last person who I thought would... Um, would become that. But that's the path I've been on. And I would say, like you were mentioning earlier, I think, you know, I read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl when I was on the Sinclair Method. And Great I think book. that was one of the most profound books I read because yeah. drinking was my purpose. That was where I got meaning out of life every single day for my whole adult life, essentially. And so I realized that a part of my recovery was really about finding meaning and purpose in my life. And, you know, I've worked with people who are hardcore atheists or, you know, they're all along the spectrum. And so I know faith and spirituality is not for everyone, but a lot of what he promotes in his book and talks about is, you know, having that meaning. And so I think that whether or not someone's open to spirituality, like that sense of meaning and purpose in life is something that is fundamental to recovering from an addiction. Do you, do you agree? Or I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um, uh, yeah, it's actually bringing up a, a whole lot of um, thoughts that I'm having over this because I'm also a Christian. And so the conflict, and maybe you can, you know, relate to this. Now, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, and part of that is the belief that God, 
Jesus, whomever, can do anything, basically. <laughs> Literally could do anything. And so it's it was hard for me at first to just be like, you know what? Yeah, God is great, you know? But, um, you know, if God wants, if you ask God to move a mountain, you know, you should bring a shovel. You know, you got to yeah. do some work. So I always had a little bit of conflict uh, internally with, you know, how can I say on this one hand, you know, to my Sunday school kids, you know, that you don't pray to God for he can do anything in your life. And on the other hand, I'm saying to myself and other people, yeah, yeah, we don't really need God in this situation. Like you can do it without it and let's not focus on it too much. So I'm definitely conflicted in that. But I mean, I've learned how to parse it and, you know, separate them. But um I mean, how do you feel about that? Do you have that kind of conflict too, where you're like, I want to be able to say, hey, pray it away. You know, that's that's all you need is prayer. But I don't think that that just comports with the reality of, you know, what we go through as, um, as people who are addicted. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because for me, I quit drinking before I came to God. So, like, he wasn't, I believed I was God in Buddhism. And again, not to knock anyone, but my beliefs were just like so completely different right. than they are now. And so, um, you know, he wasn't a part, like, but looking back, I'm like, he was there all along. I, that's like the perspective I have now. But with the Sinclair Method, particularly, we have a lot of people that come to us and say, I've been praying for an answer and God led me to this, or she showed me this. And so I believe that he does use tools to help people. You know, there's a lot, he can, he can use anything to, to free people from whatever. Um, and I've also met people who the Sinclair Method didn't work for, and they were able to literally like lay it at the cross and yeah. give it up, and God like completely healed them. And so, I think He can do either way. Like my understanding biblically is like it really comes down to faith. Like Jesus went into towns where He couldn't heal people because they didn't have faith, or if someone's still really you know attached to the addiction and they're getting something out of it. And you know it's much more complicated than that, right. I think. But um, you know, I do believe that, you know, God can use anything, whether or not someone's a believer in him or, you know, believes he exists. You know, I think he's, you know, using all things for good. Right. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, one analogy I would use sometimes is, you know, you can believe in gravity or you don't have to, but either way, when you step off your roof, you're going to hit the ground, you know? So just because you're not acknowledging something doesn't necessarily mean it's not working. I run into to you know, in this, on this side of recovery that we're in, which is, you know, it's all different ways to, you know, it's not all spiritual. I come across a lot of people, and maybe you do too, who have such uh, an anger towards any kind of religion. You know, the minute they see God, you know, it's already, okay, here's an, if you're a salesperson, it's like, I have an objection now I have to push through because they're so, they're poisoned on the word God. So it's hard for me because I'm agreeing with them in the in the sense that, yeah, you had a very bad experience with a church or with someone who was religious. Like, yes, okay, that was bad. But you know, you need to you know you have to look at it from a little different perspective, and it's not such a horrible thing. It's just being used <laughs> in a horrible well, way. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think people's experiences are as varied as there are human beings, and, right. and you're never going to have. Uh, a group of humans agreeing on whether God exists. Um, you know, what place does God occupy in the universe? And I don't think, you know, it's anybody's position to tell anybody else what to think in that respect, yeah. which is why I find like having it as like a frontline part of recovery, like it is in a 12 step group mm -hmm. to be like the opposite of helpful. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It can so, be detrimental. And I think if people are not, you know, ready to accept the idea of uh, even deism, you know, even the fact that there is some sort of 
force in the universe than trying to like pigeonhole them in there, trying to make uh, the doorknob God or a group of drunks group of God. Drunks. Uh, Good order. I, I think direction. it's. I think it's a. I think it's a terrible idea, and mm. I don't think that should have any part of. Um, there should be any part of that in recovery. I mean, if you. I mean, my, my spirituality has definitely evolved since I've stopped drinking. I mean, I was always a Buddhist, but, uh, ever since I was in high school, but I've definitely, um, evolved in my thinking about whether there's some sort of universal thing that's outside of myself, mm. you know, and, and, you know, I'm into Zen, which is not really traditional yeah. Buddhism. So I don't really need, I don't really need to have a belief of God, of God one way or the other to practice Zen, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Um, yeah. But you still dodge the priest when you go for walks with your wife. Like, well, I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a social Catholic because of <laughs> other reasons. Yeah. But that's you know that's how I was raised. I got kid in Catholic school. He had to I had to get him baptized. Yeah, you got to get in. in. It was this whole thing. So how can you deny God's place in your life? I I don't deny I don't deny God's totally place in my life. But you know I, I don't believe there's just one. I mean I think you know yeah. Krishna's God. God's God, you know, whatever. There's there's lot plenty of gods. It's just how you approach them. Allah's God, you know. Many names, one light. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's great because I don't usually get most of the people I talk to in recovery. It's either, and that's why I hate that twelve step. Like has has God, and they're the ones that are like besides no, celebrate recovery. But God, they, they've got God, and if you're not doing that, somehow now I'm anti-church or I'm anti-God, and nothing could be further from the truth. But as we've discussed, you know, we're we're believers, and you know that this universe created by what we believe is God, you know, yeah. operates under certain physics and laws and things, mm-hmm. and so we ought to operate within that. So thanks for humoring my uh, spiritual <laughs> inquiry there. You well, know, and I appreciate what yeah. you're saying too, because like if God is forced on people, like nobody wants to be. F- forced no. to believe in god and like you said i've you heard can. people like call a coat hanger god because they're right. like this is ridiculous i don't believe in this and you know my my husband's not a believer and so i like that's very fresh in my you know experience right. so you know i i it, it's a mystery and it's a beautiful question and it's like i feel like we could talk about that for a long time but mm. it's um yeah i do i do encounter a lot of people who are more science-based and like so absolutely opposed to god which you know makes the sinclair method a a great option for them and um yeah, it's kind of a mystery for me too because I I didn't believe in God until after I was sober. So I'm like, what is that all about? Like, I'm still trying to uh, come to terms with that. Well, you're seeing uh, clearly now. You, yeah, you also yeah. Have a, there's a lot more space in your head that's not occupied so by thinking about you know booze. All Alcohol the time. was my yeah. god before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's funny, but it's kind of true, you know. Like yeah. alcohol was was my god too. Yeah. Yep. So do you want to tell us about what you're doing on YouTube and all of the things that, um, because we're getting to the part of the interview where we promote what you do. Um, But what are you doing? Um, It sounded like you said you you have clients and you're working with people on the Sinclair Method and recovery. So Thrive is the the name of your your group there. Tell us all about it. Thrive Alcohol Recovery. So yeah, I started a YouTube channel. I was honestly just going to make one video to be like, hey, this works for me. But it kind of just evolved into a YouTube channel where I shared my kind of documentation of the journey month by month and then interview people as well and still put videos out regularly. Like we host Q&A sessions a couple times a month and things like that. So on YouTube and all the social media channels on TikTok as well, like we're uh, we're uh, yeah pretty we're on TikTok pretty regularly as well, bringing a lot of people to the Sinclair method from TikTok. There's a lot of people on recovery on TikTok or in recovery. I didn't That's realize really that. Interesting. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been I, I always thought it was like a tween platform and yeah. I created a TikTok and I'm like, oh, it's not at all. Are you guys on TikTok? Yes. Nah, we are? I am. I've learned <laughs> to know, avoid I, it. We are not, but I am. Oh, you're yeah. on TikTok yeah, because I, my son's on it constantly and it drives me nuts. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm morally opposed to TikTok and everything it represents. But having said that, I think we should probably do something on TikTok because yeah, well, I know. it's ubiquitous. I was pretty yeah. Sorry. It, it's everywhere. Um, you, so we got to get on that. So that's really cool. And you meet a lot of great people out there. You get a lot of people just who are curious. I like this word, sober curious. And it has yeah. that interesting connotations. And they don't know, like you guys were talking about earlier, it's like if people think the AA, I mean, I thought the AA was the only way and like calling myself an alcoholic and going to meetings and never drinking again. I, I was like, I, I wasn't like, that didn't appeal to me. And I've heard people say like, oh, I, if I would have known about the Sinclair method five, 10 years ago, I would have fixed this problem then. But I mm. thought that this was my only option. But um, yeah. So, and, and then with Thrive, yeah, we have an online program that, you know, is the recovery piece of the Sinclair method. We work with doctors across the U.S. and Canada and a few other countries who prescribe it. And then uh, we have a team of coaches and a whole comprehensive program that really guides people through it, you know, step by step from the very beginning of how does the method even work and what am I doing here um, all the way through to like, you know, what does life look like once you reach extinction and changing habits and things like that. So um, I've been a coach in this field for four years and um really had the privilege to work honestly with like hundreds of people over the years, one-on-one -on -one and both in group. Um, so uh, pretty well-versed in, in the method and, and love to support people through it. Oh, that's so great. So if somebody wants to find out more, how would they reach you? Um, they can go to our website, thrivealcoholrecovery.com. And our social media is linked on there. We have videos that explain the method and information about our program and just other resources. We have a couple free video courses on there too, just for people like, they're like, is this method right for me? We have a course on that, um, mistakes on the Sinclair method and, and a few other free courses as well. Yeah, definitely check out some of those videos. They're they're entertaining and informative <laughs> as well. Um, so if somebody wants to start uh, working with you, can they get a, you know, through one of the doctors you work with, can they actually get a, a prescription via like a telemedicine sort of situation? Yeah, that's yeah. actually exclusively who we work with are telemedicine doctors. And wow. we have doctors in all 50 states as well as um, Canada and a couple other countries. We're working to expand. Like there's been a lot of interest from people in Australia. So um, it's much more difficult to get the medication over there. So we're kind of working to figure out a more seamless process there. But for at least the US and Canada, we're covered. And so a lot of people, you know, when they learn about this method, they don't necessarily want to talk to their GP about it because they're yeah. like, I don't want them to know yeah. I have this problem or I don't right. know what they're going to say. So we work with doctors that really specialize in it. And you can meet with them through phone or video and get a prescription pretty quickly. For most people, you know, the medication is pretty benign for most people. If someone mm. has a liver disease, the doctor may do a, a screen and see if their liver is healthy enough because the medication is processed through the liver, but mm. um, it's a it's a pretty safe medication. Uh, but for yeah, most so people. is my blood pressure medication, you know. So oh, yeah. Processed in the liver? Yeah, everything is processed in the liver. Poor, <laughs> the poor liver is it's a hardworking organ. Yeah, mine is really? not happy with me. I know. But <laughs> last four years, it's been pretty happy, but yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, Last thing I want to ask you, unless you had something other major that you wanted to. No, I think I feel like we're keeping her for a while here. <laughs> I, know I, keep I love the conversation. Yeah, let's go for a few more hours. Let's go for a few more hours. <laughs> what is the final word from you on powerlessness? Um, AA is it's a big stopping point. That's a good question for you. For a lot of people, they say, you know, I've 
powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. But I know Mike has got a big problem with the, the powerlessness. I don't turn the power over. So is this a powerless program or are we taking our power back? Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's more, um, and honestly, I think that's one of the things that prevents people from doing AA as well. I know if it was true for me, I was like, I'm not powerless. Like, that's not very helpful. I can understand why it would be helpful because if people believe in God and, you know, they're surrendering that to him, yeah. that's, you Humble know, one thyself, way to go about right? it. But with the Sinclair method, you know, the, the term I used a lot was like, I'm empowered over alcohol. I have mm. my power back over alcohol to where, you know, it's such a freeing feeling to go to a party and know you're not going to get blackout drunk and make a fool of yourself. You know, you're going to have a couple of drinks and enjoy yourself and drink like a normie, you know, and mm. go home. Um, so through this method, yeah, it's, it's not about powerlessness. It's actually about gaining your power back over alcohol, um, which is where the freedom comes from. You know, you're not at the whim of like your alcohol cravings and just trying to monitor and force yourself to, you know, have control or force yourself not to drink, but you really get your power back. And it's a gradual process. You know, it's not an overnight fix, but it's an incredible journey. And, you know, I have a lot of success stories on my YouTube where people can go and see, you know, these normal, normal people who, you know, had alcohol problems and they got free from it through the Sinclair method, whether that means they're sober now or they're, you know, drinking more moderately. Great. great. Awesome. And so your YouTube channel would be just search under Katie Lane or is it under um, Thrive, uh, the, the Thrive brand? It's under Thrive. It's called Thrive Community. Um, but if you search my name or if you search the Sinclair Method on YouTube, like you'll see my face come up. I have a couple hundred videos on there. So you'll see me and that will take you over to the, the channel. Great. Well, thank awesome. you very much. Yes. And do you have Thank anything you. else no, while I'm, we've I'm, got her? Because I'm, I'm who knows good. if we'll ever get her back here <laughs> after this one. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Kitty. It was so great to speak with you and yeah, to meet you. you. Yeah. And, uh, and it was so nice to meet you both, too, and like meet people. Because, you know, being an advocate on social media, sometimes I get people who are super dogmatic, like we were kind of saying, like, you know, there's only one way to recover. And yeah. so it's really awesome to be on a podcast where you guys are kind of even talking about this, even though you didn't use it yourself. So thank you for being open-minded and willing to share this information. Well, our uh, philosophy has always been the best recovery method is the one that works for you. So, yeah. That's a good so one. True. Did you just come up with it? No, we say, we say that all the time. We do? We do. Okay, yes, we do. We say it all the time. All right. It's on all of our merchandise. We are doing the same show, right? It's true. Yes, yes, yes okay. of course. All right. all right, Katie, thank you. Thank you so much. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Well, that was good. What? I'm just looking at myself. Um, yeah, the video the video part is over. We don't have to look at the camera anymore. Okay, but you, you should put the cans back on because we're still actually talking. Yes, unless you want to take a break. Um, no, we don't have to take a break. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, Katie, for um, enlightening us. That was really she was just really like clear headed. Yes, interesting, articulate, I articulate yes. interesting ideas, right. uh, ideas that work. Um, yeah, and uh, so check her out, please on. Um, Thrive Recovery. Links in the show notes, yes, folks. Links, links in the show notes. And check right on YouTube. Actually, let's take a, let's take a little break um, right. and come back. Will we be right back after these words? We'll be right back after these words. Um, Do you guys like that? Yeah, you want to hear more? 
guests like Katie. They because if you do, do, drop me a note at mikeartmiddleagesrecovery.com. I have a couple of things lined up, a couple of interviews for the next uh, couple of shows. So Yeah, we got know. great stuff coming up. Um, I was just going to say something, and now I've completely forgotten what it is. Are you going to DopeyCon? Yeah, I will be at DopeyCon. Uh, it's October 1st at the... I forget where it is. It's Some in New church. York City. Yeah. Church of the something something. Right. It's one of those. The Assumption or like... Uh, the Assumption. <laughs> assumption. Something. Church of the Assumption of the Risk. Yeah, so um, meet us uh, or meet me at DopeyCon. I don't think Mike will be there. <laughs> I haven't but decided yet. I will definitely be there. I've assured all of the dopes out there. They're going. I'm going. It's going to be a great time. We're going to see some some monsters. I think we have some monsters attending. What so. does Dave do with this thing? What does one do at a DopeyCon? It sounds to me like he's going to have uh, some of his celebrity guests oh. show up. They may speak. I think he's going to do a show from stage. I see. He may have, and I don't want to give anything away because I don't know how much of this is surprising. Right, so don't, don't say anything. There may be some other entertainment things. I know there's going to be some people exhibiting, like um, Ex- sponsors. Yeah, I think Soberlink said that they would have a yeah, exhibition. So, you know, so there'll be... It's New York City, after all. There might be a slight, you know, convention feel to it, but it's mostly just going to be, like, everyone getting together and, you know, meeting people that you sort of met, you know, in your recovery online. Mm. And so it'll be interesting, because a lot of these people, we all got to know each other during the pandemic, mm-hmm. because, you know, we were all looking for that, you know, connection, and um, it'll be really great. So I'm looking forward to seeing... All of you there. Um, lastly, I, I really had something else. You're riffling through those pages. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. I had <laughs> Thank a you. Really great time. And uh, did you? I, yes, oh, I did. That about does it for today. I know had a great time. Did you? <laughs> I did. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, all the usual YouTube, places, and Twitter. So, and what you twit? TikTok. I'm going to create the TikTok. And account. TikTok is coming. Support your favorite show, please, guys. Drop us a five star review. It really helps on Apple Podcasts. Um, check out our private Facebook group. It's completely free. You join, you talk to other monsters. We support each other. We celebrate soberversaries. It's groovy. It is groovy. We've also got the Inner Sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages for a higher level of support, video episodes, free merchandise. Um, come check us out. But the best way to help the show is how? I think the best way to, to support the show is to share, share it with, it with a, a friend. friend. Tell all your friends. and But more importantly than telling them, force them yeah. to... Um, Leave us five-star reviews and uh, listen and subscribe on Apple iTunes and all the other venues because those things make a big difference. As we get higher up in the search terms and the search results, uh, better things happen. It gives us more opportunities to share the message. Yeah, and um, thank you guys for sticking with us and looking forward to some great shows coming up. Yes, we are. And as we say, non proficiat perfecto. That's uh, progresso, not the perfection. (laughs) See you next time. Be good, cheese bags. Stay fresh. All right. Goodbye.
Yeah.